Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Special day, Will Aldrich. Conference basketball tournaments are underway, and we get into the Big 12 tournament. And before you know it, I mean, maybe by the time that people even listen to this, first game will be underway. Sixth tonight, a 930 game. And then, man, bright and early on Thursday, 1130 in the morning, some COVID stuff so they can have extra time to prep the floors and arena after games. But, uh, boy, it's here and it seems like it couldn't get here fast enough. A long, long season, but finally has some postseason play. Sounds good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time. We got a lot of good basketball coming up. We got uh, coffee and, and West Virginia basketball Thursday morning. So definitely some exciting stuff coming up. You put together a viewer's guide for us online. It has some some interesting players to watch. For example, Baylor guard, you're going to think Davion Mitchell. You're going to think Jared Butler. You went Macy Oteague, who is a really good player, who just happens to be the number three guard on the number two team in the country. Uh, also, Derek Culver. Kate Cunningham, easy pick, but man, there's something you can't take your eyes off about him, especially if you're a West Virginia fan. Um, I don't know, and then there were some other things about there about what Kansas do we get? Can anybody go three and zero or zero and three in this league when it's so competitive from top to I wouldn't say top to bottom, but top to deep middle? Um, as a fan, as a journalist, fan of the sport, journalist covering the game, will I don't know who or what interests you over these next couple of days. I'm looking at Cade Cunningham, like I said, and and also Macy Oteague. I mean, I think that if Macy Oteague was on any other team, I think you're talking about him as as one of the best players um, around the league. And I don't think he gets necessarily the credit that he deserves. Um, and then with Cade Cunningham, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to dismiss the numbers he's putting up. I mean, this is kind of the time where those players would come alive. I kind of mentioned that in the preview. Um, but you think about some players in the past, like your buddy Heald's and, and, and Trey Young's people that, that they get into the tournament. And it, it seems like they kind of start to smell the NBA draft coming up and they really show out. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see moving forward. And I think that might kind of propel Oklahoma State into a better position moving into March Madness than may, you may have thought going into it. Yeah. Nothing from today is terribly interesting, except one team that I'll get to here but just let's go over the, the first two games. Game one, game two, 6.30 Eastern time, ESPN. The 8-9 and nine game, TCU-Kansas State, they play for the right to lose to Baylor tomorrow. I don't think anything there is going to really matter. Neither one of those teams has a pulse. I doubt either one. I don't, I don't think TCU will be an NIT team. Kansas State obviously can't, but TCU doesn't seem like one of the top 16 teams not in the big tournament. So season's over for one of them, certainly today, and then almost certainly the next one tomorrow. The 7-10 game interests me. It might be Steve Prohm's last game, which seems crazy because that guy's won the Big 12 tournament and has sent players to the pros and has been pretty good, but it's kind of hard to ignore an 0 for season, and I can't see them beating Oklahoma, except Oklahoma stinks all of a sudden, and I can't figure that out. That's one team that I would not be surprised if they ended up beating Kansas, for example, and getting into the semifinal, and then who knows what happens, but... I can't say I'd be. I can't say I'm expecting them to lose. But if Oklahoma State or if Oklahoma lost because Iowa State played really well and won a game, I wouldn't be shocked there either. Any intrigue in, in Oklahoma, as far as like a I don't know sleeper or can they get their act together team? I mean, we've seen kind of two different versions of Oklahoma. Like we have seen Kansas throughout the season. I don't know if they can make a run for the Big Twelve championship just because I don't feel like 
they're peaking at the right time. Maybe if this tournament was like two months ago, I think they'd be in a lot better position. But, I mean, you look at the matchups they're going to be in, and I just I, I can't really see it. It does feel like the team that gets a win and they finally get back on the right foot, they're going to beat Iowa State almost certainly. And then they match up okay with Kansas. Like they, they can stretch the floor. They can guard. They got a guy who goes to the paint. They don't have any answer for McCormick, so they're going to be in trouble. But um, there's not a lot of teams in this field that have something to play for. Baylor's a one. You're looking at a collection of teams that are going to be a two or a three. I'm not sure how many of these two or threes fall to a four. Maybe West Virginia, we can talk about that. Um, the one team that's in the tournament, and I think Oklahoma's in, that has something to play for is Oklahoma, and I just I just don't know if they're if they're stuck and they can't get out of it, or if they can. That'd be that'd be interesting to, to see here. And then that's number one, number two. Do you think that's it for Prome, or do you think he gets another chance? Really weird year, but they've been pretty bad for the entire time. Well, to to answer your first question, I, I do think you're right about about. I think it makes a difference, kind of what you have to play for. I mean, you think of think of Baylor, and they're in a really good spot. They're you know shoe in for a number one seed, and I think that that may affect the way they play that may allow for kind of a big upset to happen. Not certainly in the first game against Kansas State or TCU, but I think once you get into the semifinals or finals, I think it might um, mentally, I think that a team that has more to play for a lot of upward mobility seating, I think it could play a role. Um, and that's where kind of Oklahoma could sneak in. Um, but in terms of Iowa state, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, he's had so much success there. They've had a ton of success in the big 12 tournament. Um, so if you're an Iowa State fan, it's it, it's tough because you've had so much success under prom. But, I mean, a, a winless season in Big 12 play is kind of tough to overlook, I think. I didn't realize this about him, too. I was just looking at it. Um, he's 97 and 94 at, at Iowa State. And you think that, wow, all that success, two conference tournament titles, he's probably won a lot. But first and second years, Okay, you figure, right? They went to the Sweet 16 one year. Second year, they won the conference tournament. Lost in the second round. Had a 13-18 and 18 year. Won the conference tournament out of nowhere um, in 2019. Lost in the first round. And then the last two years, 12-20 and 20 and 2-21. and 21. So it's maybe it's not that big of a surprise. But um, knock on him, is, but he's, he's been recruiting okay. And he's got players in the NBA. Um, and you'll see guys like Halliburton and, and before and after him, for sure, that are on this team that have been on other ones and just haven't really won. At a, at a very high level there, too. Um, let's move on to Thursday's games. Um, trying to figure out how this shakes out or why this is any different than the first two games here between West Virginia and Oklahoma State. West Virginia plays like a, a template game, so to speak. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to give up a lot of points. Oklahoma State's just a... I don't want to say a bad matchup because they came back from 19 down against it, but I like almost all their points are layups or, or putbacks or dunks or right at the rim. And that's West Virginia's Achilles heel here, too. I would imagine the third game is going to play out a lot like the first two. High scoring, a lot of offense, probably some momentum swings there, too, because it's on a neutral floor where no one can probably seize control. But uh, what do we expect? More of the same? Anything different? I mean, I think we're going to have to change up. I don't think it would have mattered who Oklahoma State had out there. I mean, Bob Huggins made it pretty clear that they just the effort wasn't there. Um so, I mean, I think it starts from getting the ball back into Derek Culver early in the game. I think if you look back and, and look at the games where we've had a lot of success early on, Derek Culver has like six points in the first like three minutes, every single one of those games. And and he hasn't, he, he needs to be shooting more than 10 free throws or uh, field goals a game. I mean, he can't have, you know, you look at his best stats and he only had like six field goals, field goal attempts. So we got to get the ball early in him a lot more, um, get him active in the paint. Um and then cut down on the line drives for Oklahoma State because that's kind of their bread and butter. And we let up 
most of the points in the paint last game. Hey, uh, matchup zone was pretty good for a couple of games. I think Oklahoma State has the personnel and probably a really good coach, and they figured out a way around that, which is just dribble, dribble, drive, and it worked, and then drop it off or kick it out and hit a three or get a layup. Um, I don't know if West Virginia has a third defense. Um, what would you do? Would you would you mix it up? Would you stick with matchup for as long as you can? Would you try to play man? Because it doesn't seem like there's a really good option there. Maybe there's the best bad idea, though. I don't know if you could change it up at this point. Um, I think it just comes from effort. I mean, a lot of the loose ball, a lot of the the long rebounds, it, they all kind of went to Oklahoma State, and I think that's where West Virginia had most of their struggles. I don't think that changing up schematically would be the best idea at this point, um, especially when they only have two days before they have to turn around and, and, and face them again. Are you worried about them at all? Didn't look good the final week of the season, and I would say three of those four games. Baylor game was exceptional. Um, the final, the other three kind of left you wondering. Um, I can go both ways on this too, but where do you see from from afar covering the team as you have um, cause for alarm, or is this just kind of maybe natural and maybe postseason play can snap them out of it and they get their feet back on the ground? I think that they can they can definitely turn around, but the damage has kind of been done seeding wise. I, I mean, I saw the last bracketology, and it has us or uh, has West Virginia late in that three seed, um, which would be matched up against. Gonzaga in the same in the same region as Gonzaga, so it it's cause for concern seeding wise. But I think that a lot of it comes from effort, and I think you're going to see a different West Virginia team in the tournament than you maybe saw in the last week week and a half of the season when it seemed like there was less to play for, but to end up turning into a trap game, maybe not the one that you would have expected without Kate Cunningham in that game. Yeah, which maybe that works against your team a little bit there, too. If the uh, number one, number two pick in the NBA draft isn't on the team for that game that you're playing where you can lock up number two in the conference, you can get your coach 900 wins, you kind of figure it's going to be easy. That that does seem like a bit of fool's gold. And I wonder if because of that, you can kind of maybe discard that game a little bit. It's such a weird effort for them. Like they've they played fairly hard all year. You know, they've they haven't lost back to back games, which is kind of crazy when you consider They've lost eight times, right? In a really good conference, they've lost a bunch of games too, but never back-to-back. And starting and stopping and games are pulled off the the table because of their protocol or another team's protocol, just a bunch of distractions. But, yeah, there were times where they could have gotten blown out in games, and they came back, and they came back and made it competitive, or they came back and they won the game too. I just seem like a resilience, and I think that if if this team is going to do something, we'll know right away that they'll, they'll win this game not play well, they'll win the game if they have something in it. And if not, then I'm probably concerned because as much motivation as they had Saturday, they have at least that much right on, on Thursday. Cause by the way, he's still stuck on eight ninety nine. Uh, you can't be number two in the conference, but you have a chance to get up to a number two. You also have a chance to fall to a four. If you lose, I think um, I, I just think the inspiration is there. And, and it's one of these weird things where you get a second chance. You don't often get that in college basketball. I think that could be good for him too. Right. Yeah, it, it's tough because you kind of wanted to get 900 out of the way last game. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of want to put that one behind you. And now having to go back and play Oklahoma State, um, I think it's a good time for a reset with the team because at this point you're running out of chances where you can have games like that. You know, moving forward, you're not going to be able to play like that and, and continue your season. Um, so reset, watch the film, and I think at the end of the day you kind of have to put it behind you and just move on. Here's an interesting prospect, too. Uh, I like Oklahoma State's coach, Mike Boynton. Are you in on that? 
I think that he deserves a ton of uh, credit for when, you know, what he's been able to do in just three seasons. I know Scott Drew obviously got coach of the year, but I think my boy definitely doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Yeah. So especially this Hug- season. Huggins is at a hard time with Boynton, right? Oklahoma State's won six games in the Coliseum. He's been in charge of a lot of the, the wins there, too. Uh, Brad Underwood got some, too. But Boynton's team has played well against West Virginia, has some wins, won in the Coliseum. He's a South Carolina graduate, played there, is popular there. He's been in that region. Frank Martin, who's one of Huggins' friends, may lose his job. Not sure. We'll see. But Boynton could end up there, and I'm not sure if Huggins would be happy about that or not because it would mean his friend is out of a job. It would mean that Mike Boynton's out of his hair for a couple of years at least, too. So something to watch for there, too. Um, indications for West Virginia. Let's go over some players. Culver. You mentioned that if he's involved early, he's probably a better player. They do try to get him involved. Um, Oklahoma State doesn't have any like great rim protectors. Uh, Boone's a little bit light, and Culver can throw him around. Moncrief was good, and I'm trying to think of the other big guy's name right now. Um, gave him some good minutes, but I don't know. They they have ways to do it, but that seems like a game he could get going, but he just hasn't had the right look to him lately, too. I don't know if it's body language or bounce or execution. It, it might just be 26 games of getting hacked and hacked and hacked and having to go to the free throw line, which if you're not good at it, that's not fun. Um, how do they pull him out of this and get him back right? It's tough. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it. He's getting... Been, so beat around this entire season that kind of the fatigue is like you can kind of tell kind of kind of get to him a little bit um but this is late in the season it's kind of when you would need him to be Derek Culver the most I mean think about his biggest games this season some of them were against the biggest games against uh against Gonzaga early and then into those early conference games against like uh Texas Tech um and Kansas and, and teams like that so moving forward, he's going to have to be get back to that early season Derek Culver that we saw when we were having so much success with him. Okay. I'll leave this one to you. I'm not going to talk a lot, but Miles McBride, I'll, I'll just say that he's shooting 42% from the floor um, and 42% from two-point range, which is not great when you figure he takes a lot of two-pointers, mostly long twos. He'll get to the rim every so often, but um, he's taken eight and a half two-pointers per game, and most of them are those extended jumpers that, I don't know, maybe he can keep going and make it a two-footer. Maybe he could take two steps back and make it a three-pointer. But his his scoring and his numbers for accuracy are down here. Some of his reputation, some of it may be health. What do you think? It's, it is tough to overlook because, you know, every time I'm watching a game, you see he has a two-point half, a two-point first half, a, a four-point first half. And then he always kind of finds that way to get to double digits better than the game. So you look at his stats and you see 15 points, but then you, you realize how many times he's shooting and how many – points he's he's scoring early in the game and it's tough i mean it's def- he's definitely slumping right now um but kind of like culver he's a guy that's gonna have to step up for this team he is the kind of the leader of the team um and if they want to have a deep postseason run i think he's gonna end up being a major key for them yeah both those guys are gonna have to get touches and especially shots if they're gonna score because now there's a great accuracy guy but also they can get going in bunches too um are you worried at all about either one of these players Taz Sherman, who's had a groin and just hasn't been himself for a while. Sean McNeil, who who couldn't throw one in on Saturday if he was standing over the rim. And, and Bridges, who was going great relative to, I think, what you expect from a redshirt freshman who's in this the first time and then goes 0 for 3 on Saturday. Any lasting concerns for you with any one of those three guys? I'm not worried about McNeil. Um, I think yeah. that was kind of a – I mean, I think that was just – that was one game. Um, you know, you'll get it in the grand scheme of things. That's that's kind of rare for him. Um, then Bridges, this is kind of his first his first run through the 
the heart of the Big 12 schedule. So I'm not really worried about those two guys. Um, I think that it was kind of a team effort or lack thereof, I guess you could say. Um, and it was kind of just a perfect storm of missed shots and low effort, and that kind of culminated for the entire team. So I'm not necessarily worried about them moving forward as long as they kind of reset and, and get ready for the Big 12 tournament. Sherman's an interesting case because he gets hurt and then comes back. He plays against Texas um, and goes three for 13, gets 14 points. They played TCU, a friendly team, and he's he's always pretty good in the Dallas area. Gets 23, but he's three for 10 from three. Eight points against Kansas State. He was one for five. Played well against Baylor. I think that matters. I think that's maybe what's promising about him or the team is that rise to the level rather than lower yourself to the level. But nine for 14, made eight of 10 twos, seven to eight of the line, 26. Then four against TCU, and then better against Oklahoma State. So when I say concern, yeah, he's he's coming off a twenty point game, but he's been you know five points, eight points, four points in between. I think he's back to maybe closer to as healthy as he can be at this time of year. But you know the three point percentage is is a thirty five now, and he was he was pretty healthy not long ago. I think he was up close to forty. Um, streak score needs his base. He's explosive. He gets in the paint too, but. I don't know. I feel like if you could wave a magic wand over one of those three guys, that's the one you'd probably spend it on, right? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, awards came out yesterday, and Kai Jones won sixth man of the year. I was actually surprised. I thought that Taz Sherman was going was gonna to end up getting it. Um, did you have any surprises in terms of where the awards were given out? I thought Butler would win player of the year. Best player, yeah. best team. I thought that was it. It's hard to ignore Cunningham's success, especially inside the Big 12. And his team is not as good as Oklahoma State's team. Now, his team didn't come close to Oklahoma State either. So, or excuse me, to Baylor. Um, his team is not as good as Baylor's team. I get that. But his team didn't beat Baylor's team. So that that makes me really wonder if he was as deserving. I'm, I'm okay with him winning freshman of the year for sure. Uh, I'm okay with him being first team all conference and even unanimous. But I, I think Butler... Just a really good player, too. Man, maybe Butler's hurt by having so many good players, too. Uh, defensive player of the year was no problem. I mean, the only ones that I think are curious for me were, were eh, I don't know. Even I'm glad Davion Mitchell got first team. That's maybe one that raises yeah. some eyebrows. Yeah. I think, but I, his defense is so good. He's such a great player. He, I mean, he could be a first team player of the year guy, but if not for the players around him, too. Sherman's an interesting one. I mean, I think he had the most bench points in the conference. He only started. I don't know, six games, I think, this year. So it definitely raised an eyebrow there, too. But Jones is Jones has been a pretty productive player in, in different capacities, too. I don't think there's a wrong pick there, but 
I'd be curious how the voting was too. That feels like a maybe like a five four kind of vote or something. I think the difference, in my opinion, between Sherman and Jones is that you look at Sherman when he comes into the game, and he kind of breaks shooting slumps, and he at some points he's our only offense, and he really takes over takes over the offense, mm-hmm. and he's more of a I think consistent scorer than Jones was. Um, you know, you look at Sherman thirteen points, thirteen point four, Jones eight point five. Kai Jones had the 4.8 rebounds a game. Sherman obviously isn't a rebounder. Um, and then Jones shot 56% while Sherman only shot 41%. So I guess there's a there's definitely an argument to go both ways. But if you're thinking about who has a bigger impact on the overall game, I think that Sherman is more important to West Virginia's offense than Jones is to the Longhorns' offense. Especially for how much West Virginia scores and how much they get from their backcourt, too. So I'd agree with that, too. Another guy to watch for was Terrence Shannon at Texas Tech. Um, 12.5 points per game. He only started 10 times. Shoots 45% from the floor. 52% from two, 32% from three. He gets points all over the place. Really talented player. Um, and he carries their second team sometimes, too. So um, three good players could have been, I don't know, could have been interesting there, too. Um, I'm glad to see Osaboy and get all defensive team. I don't think that's a surprise, but... Charges isn't really a stat you see in a stat sheet, and he doesn't block a lot of shots. So how do you measure a defensive player when he doesn't have one stat and the other stat that he really does often doesn't really show up? I think that's just coaches knowing that he's a pain in the neck near the basket too. He doesn't block shots, but he's he kills you around the basket when he's going good. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, obviously, it's important that the coaches are voting, um, and it's not like a fan vote or anything like that because – they recognize his effort. You know, the graphic pops up on the screen at the end of the game. Gabe Osaboyan fouls out with zero points. But that doesn't give credit to, like you said, the deflections um, and the charges taken and, and the heart and hustle and stuff like that. So I think he's such a deserving player. I'm glad to see that he got recognized because I think it's kind of a long time, two seasons coming for him. All right, let's talk about the one player who is a bit of a lightning rod. And it's not Jordan McCabe. I think those days are, are long since past. But... uh Where's Emma Matthews at? Yeah, I mean, it's, Are you looking? it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know if I have a good answer. Um, I, you know, you look at, people think, remember that Texas Tech game he had freshman year. Um, and that's kind of the Emmett Matthews that we're, we're looking for. Um, but I think the consistency has been the problem with him. I mean, he'll have... He had a, a good game against Oklahoma State. He had a couple tough shots. Um, but overall, just the consistency hasn't been there for him. I'm curious about his playing time, too. Didn't play the final 15 minutes against Oklahoma State for a guy who had nine in the first half, which is like two games for him sometimes, right? And that's not a joke. I mean, he's not going to get you nine points very often. He's about a six-and-a-half point per game guy. So doesn't play the final 14. He didn't play the final 10 minutes, I think, against TCU. Didn't play the final 10 minutes, which means overtime against Baylor. Um, you can go through some of these games and he's not playing the final X minutes of close games. And I wonder if that's because, you know, he goofed up a couple times against Oklahoma in double overtime, missed the free throws at home against Texas. And, and sometimes you just got to have your final five. You know, starting five is important. He's in that group with final five. It strikes me, though, because Huggins is such a fan, such an advocate of what he does and how he fits into everything. And it's kind of an interesting thing where you have so, so many guys who are, let's say, ball dominant. Um, McBride and Culver we've talked about, but if you have Sherman and or McNeil on the floor, 
they they really got a score to be valuable. They're not great defensive players or rebounders or assists or defenders. And Matthews can kind of do that stuff. He he's glue a little bit and hold some lineups together, but for some reason not late in the games. I'm very curious to see what he does because on a team without a lot of postseason experience, he has some. And I'm not kidding. If you look at his splits, he's an entirely different player in March. And I know that I know March basketball sometimes is regular season, but those are important games. Like the Baylor game at home last year, that was an important game. He played well. Played well in the tournament in Kansas City two years ago. Played well in the CBI. Um, had a good half against Oklahoma State. He's he's had flashes where he's been good in March, which is when it matters. And I know for a guy who's at, sitting on like 89 games in his career, you kind of know who he is, but for a guy who didn't have March last season like everybody else, maybe that's the one the one part of the, the picture he hasn't colored in yet. And maybe he's sitting on something. Maybe he's going to hatch something here, too. I think if they could have someone that just kind of goes, bing, and the light goes on, he plays at slightly below, slightly above potential, they would love that. They would, they'd be pouring Gatorade on him in the locker room afterward. Can he get there? We'll see. I think it's interesting you bring that up because – you know, Huggins obviously likes him. Um, and I think that Huggins has shown that he's he's not uh, scared to change things up late in the season to try to find his guys moving forward who he wants in crunch time. What do you think of uh, Kedrion Johnson getting so many minutes there late in the game against Oklahoma State? Defense. He's going to stay in front of guys because he's longer and quicker, and McCabe just can't do that. I'm not sure how healthy McCabe was because he missed the, first, the game before that, and he got fouled pretty good in the first half, right? So... Maybe that was a tough tumble and he wasn't, you know, himself and like, all right, let's put let's put Johnson back in. The truth is he's a much better defender than McCabe. And offensively, it's a push, maybe. I mean, McCabe probably moves the ball better. Um Johnson's probably a better off the bounce scorer. Perimeter guy is probably about the same. I mean, maybe maybe leans one or the other, but not by much. Um if you only had room for like eight guys, I think you'd probably take McCabe's spot right now just because of defense. Yeah, I think it's I think it's, it could go either way, but I, I, would, I would agree with you there. But McCabe is kind of cool, too. You know, you don't see him get sped up or flustered too much. He'll make that one bonehead play after he makes like three in a row. But I, I, you kind of hope that it, it clicks for him and he can't do that stuff. And that's I guess that's the what if with him. What if he can kind of stay out of his own way? Johnson is so excitable and so exciting so fast. Maybe he can't. Maybe he, maybe he can't stay like right to center the entire time. Maybe he's weaving and bobbing and, and he makes some mistakes in his his first postseason experience too. So kind of the devil you know sometimes and Huggins is loyally leans on his guys. That's a that's kinda of interesting to watch about how Huggins is going to play this. Who does he who does he bring in on the bench? Does he go Johnson or McCabe? How long does he go? And then, you know, Njai isn't a big part of what they do, but when their offense is stuck, he comes in and like sets a million screens and gets everybody moving again. But First time for him. Will he do it? You know, I don't think you're going to see Tash tweet, but Enjai maybe. And if nothing else, he maybe he tries to give you some rim protection, but he doesn't know. Huggins doesn't know like what you're going to get from him. And then conversely, you're maybe playing three games in three days, so maybe you got to give Culver especially and Osaboyan a break. Maybe Thweet and Enjai get in just so guys aren't logging 32 minutes in that first game. Yeah, these are those uh, games late in the season that you realize how lucky we were to have Isaiah Cottrell. And yeah. now missing him when he's gone yeah i get a lot of that too like oh man they miss Cottrell, they miss Cottrell. but i mean he hardly played but when they kind of took the training goes off of him against northeastern he was playing well and he didn't get a lot of minutes that game because he got hurt early but i think that they might have had something with him um in some time there too um i don't know let's go over just i guess 
provided they win, and that's a, a big if here. Um, let's even go back to that. Cunningham's going to play. Not sure about Isaac Likely. Um, I, I'm going to say he doesn't play. I don't know why, but I just I, think he, I would agree with that. I don't, I don't think we're going to see Isaac Likely in the game. I know a lot of people want to say it, and it's, it's possible, but like it's really hard to incorporate two guys back game when one guy hasn't played since February 22nd. Uh, Cunningham, he'll fend it fine. Not worry about that. But Oklahoma State has a chance here. Like I think a lot of people think of them as like a crafty pick to get hot, rally around one guy, and, and get to the final, maybe win this thing, and then who knows what. I've seen them as like a, a, a chic Final Four pick, kind of bold. But okay, I get the idea. People like him. I'm not sure you mess with likely right now, and maybe he comes back in in a week when they go to the first round of the tournament. And he gives you some minutes, and then maybe second weekend he's good to go. He can help you, but um, I kind of like Avery Anderson too. And if you put likely and Cunningham and Anderson, those are three guys who got to have the ball, and you can't you can't do it with all three of them. So we'll see. Cunningham makes a difference, but let's say they get past this one. West Virginia would presumably be healthy again, if not physically, then mentally, right? They they got to take another crack at Baylor and and feel better about their chances. They haven't played them once, have played them pretty closely. But Baylor has responded from that one loss with three wins over ranked team and two of them without much drama and a high high quality win in a really good basketball game against West Virginia too. Does anything change in the second time these two teams play, or is it is it one of those things where Baylor is back to being Baylor, you know, early February Baylor? I think Baylor's back to being early February Baylor, but who's to say that West Virginia wouldn't have put up that same kind of performance mm. against early Baylor. Um, and I mean, it's, it's tough to want to change anything up because they were in that game the entire time. I mean, you look at a few plays down the stretch that, that maybe didn't go their way um, that led to the Baylor win, but you know, they were, it was just things early on. I mean, that big long stretch that they went, that scoring drought at the beginning of the game. I think it's just the little things that they're going to have to capitalize if they, if they want to beat a team like Baylor. And I think that, I mean, that was, you know, lead eight final four game. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, you're kind of running out of games where you can not capitalize on those opportunities and still expect to leave with a win. Do you see anything happening in these early games that, is like an outlier performance. What I mean by that is something that we haven't seen. Like losing at Kansas, that game doesn't fit with the rest of them. Do you see them getting blown out, blowing somebody out? Do you see a game that isn't, you know, let's say not in the 80s, but like mid to 70s to mid 80s? Like can can somebody take West Virginia out of their lane right now or can West Virginia play a different game and win? I think that in, for West Virginia, I mean, they, they have to use this pause and 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 just kind of re uh just reset um i don't know i think they're at a good spot because they you know lost the last two games they're realizing that they're running out of chances um to kind of turn things around i I wouldn't want to say turn things around but the last couple weeks haven't been haven't been great um but in terms of oklahoma that's a team that i see making a run out just because they have a lot more room to improve and better their position in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So I think if Baylor was to to lose to a team, I think that a team like Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, if they could get contenders against Baylor. Here's some stats I'm, I'm looking at here, and tell me what you think here. If they lead by ten or more, they're fourteen and zero. So they get up and they can they can score enough to get up on you, and then score well enough to stay up on you. If they fall behind by ten or more, they're five and three. 
eight is kind of concerning when you're talking about a 26 game season, but they've won five of them. Um, when they lead entering the final minute, they've lost three times, but they've also won twice when they trail entering the final minute, 16 and three, two and five. So those are two very different games. One where they can get up on a team and stay up, but also one where they can rally. Like they don't ever really get too far behind. And then chances are that, I mean, they have five games that are decided in the final five minute or final minute here, sometimes in overtime too. It just seems like this is going to be one of those games where they score high. And I don't know if it's against Oklahoma State or Baylor or whomever. It just seems like it's going to be a game where as many before this high scoring in the final minutes, is that in their best interest or should they just find a way to like, I don't know, can they, can they win 72 to 62 or something like that? It seems like that's not going to happen. I think it's a breath of fresh air for West yeah. Virginia fans, uh, especially since press Virginia. I feel like with press Virginia, what I noticed was that they would get up on these teams um, and they would use the press and the effort and they'd, they'd build these big leads and they'd kind of be struggling to the final minute to hold on to that. And if at any point during the last five to 10 minutes, they lost it, they kind of lost that edge. They would lose momentum. The other team would take over and they had a, a tough time getting back that momentum that they built during the first 10 or so minutes of the game. The difference with this team is that they're more consistent through 40 minutes. And I think that that is definitely a, uh, just a breath of fresh air for fans. I have a tip for you, Will. Are you ready? Yeah, let's hear it. If they score more, they're going to win. I hadn't, hadn't considered that. All right. You can you can take that one. <laughs> you can tell people. Here's what I mean. When they score 80, they're 7-5, and five, yeah. right? But yeah. when, the, when the other team scores 80, they're 3-5. and five. So when they're up in the 80s and the other team isn't, that means they're playing their game on offense and they're doing just enough on defense. They're 4-0. So if they can find their way into 80 and keep the other team below 80, and I, listen, I understand that sounds dumb. Hey, Mike, they scored more. But like, if they can play their game and do just enough on defense not to be playing 88, 86 or something like that, that's when it gets dangerous for them because the other team gets on a roll and gets confident. If they can just throw some speed bumps out there and play just well enough on defense, block a shot, take some charges, just get one guy rattler in foul trouble where they can't get on a roll, um, then they have a really good chance to. So play your game and do just enough on defense. I think that's a big difference to them because when they're bad, they do nothing on defense, never mind just enough. All right. Wrapping up, you'll be busy this weekend. Baseball's back. What is yeah, I get, I'm going to yeah, get my first look at the team this weekend. It's, it's exciting. Um, obviously, after the seven-day layoff, I haven't had a much about baseball, but it's going to be good to get back out there. They're going to play one on Friday, two on Saturday instead of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, correct? Yep. So we're going to have, we're going to have that one morning afternoon game. Um, and then double header Saturday. Um, again, central Michigan. I like that. If you had to play two times on the first day back, you'd probably rather not do that, right? No, I mean, I think that, a doubleheader is tough to come out of, especially after you just had the layoff. So, I mean, if you have to have a doubleheader, you're going to want it on that second day. Um, but I think it's going to get, it's kind of set things up rhythm-wise. You're going to have be able to have Jackson Will Friday. And then we'll kind of see what they do Saturday, Sunday with starting pitching. Um, but to have that first game, that 3 o'clock game, Friday, that's all they have to worry about. I think it's going to be good for them in the grand scheme of that three-day stretch there, uh, three-game stretch there over two days. 
Early wake up calls for you. Got an eleven thirty game Saturday and a three PM first pitch on Friday, huh? Eleven eleven AMs are tough. I used to do those for for AU back in high school. Those those never get easier. I feel like so. No. <laughs> yeah, it's me tough. All right, well, let's wrap it up here. Will anything else you need to put a ribbon on here for the tournament or baseball, or are you all good? I think we got it. I think we covered it. All right. Well, uh, remember, if they score more than the other team, they win. Remember, 1130 West Virginia, Oklahoma State. Catch the games tonight, 630 and 930 on ESPN. I don't believe they've made channel announcements for the other games, but they're either ESPN or ESPN2. 1130 West Virginia, Oklahoma State, number four versus number five. Winner probably gets Baylor uh, Saturday in the primetime slot. First game on uh, Friday. I'm sorry. Um, And that's about it. So we've done it again, Will. I have nothing more to add to this. A tidy podcast, which Chris and I aren't capable of. So you and I seem like we have a, a good uh, rapport and rhythm here. So I look forward to doing this again. Yeah. Have a good one, guys. Take care. See you.